Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. All that glitters is not gold. What exactly does that mean? All that glitters is not gold. Well, let's take just a brief look because it's a well-known saying, meaning that not everything that looks precious or turns out to be so, right? Everything that looks precious turns out to be so. This can be applied really to just about every experience in life. All that glitters is not gold. And you're going, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, when I looked at this, it kind of reminded me of a just a little bit of a story. And the story was this. There was a stag. If you don't know what a stag is, it's a male deer who once lived in the jungle. So you have this, you have this stag, and, and, and he used to drink water. Guys, he used to drink clear water from a nearby stream. And whenever he'd go out and he'd look, he'd see his reflection in the water. And guess what he did? He just praised his beautiful horns. He just praised his beautiful horns. He felt so proud of his horns. But when he looked at his thin, ugly legs, he disliked them. He thought that his legs were a shame for him. So you can imagine, here's this whole, this stag, he looks down, he says, look at this beautiful horn, they're all over his mate, but look at my legs, oh, my legs are ugly. My legs are ugly, and that's, and that's the story. And you go, well, what was he doing? Well, one day, guys, he was drinking water, and he was feeling sorry for himself. Why? Because he had ugly legs. And all of a sudden, he saw a pack of hounds running towards him at a short distance. And he began to run away, and the hounds kept chasing him. And he ran as fast as his legs could. Soon, he left the hounds behind. He was crossing the bushes when suddenly, his horns were trapped in a bush. He tried his best to release himself, but he couldn't. His beautiful horns would not let him move. Meanwhile, the hounds reached there, and they attacked him. And they tore him to pieces. His thin, ugly legs, which he did not like, helped him rescue his life. But his favorite horns became the cause of his death. And you go, Ben, what was the story? Well, here's, here's the thing. All that glitters is not gold. And I believe, guys, this story is going to help illustrate, if you will, what we're going to learn tonight about a fella by the name of Lot. Lot. Okay, now I don't know who would name their kid Lot, but that's what his name is. You see, Lot, guys, was, well, it was time. It was time for him to depart from his uncle Abram. And what he thought was gold turns out later to be, well, later in life to be just the opposite. It wasn't gold. Now, one of the main applications we can glean from this is you and I, as believers, again, like we talked about in our introduction, is that we must walk by faith and not by sight. But let me just say this. It's easier to say and much harder to do. Do you agree? It is. Hey, hey, Brother Joe, you need to walk by faith. Okay, but, but it's easy to say, but it's a lot harder to do. And so, again, we're going to see that from our friend, Lot. Now keep that in mind, but let me take you back a little bit, okay? Because we haven't been here in two weeks. Remember what we, where we left off three weeks ago, okay? We had just finished up chapter 12. We were introduced to Abram. Later on, God's going to change his name to Abraham, and you know him as Father Abraham, right? If you grew up in church, you have that upbringing, you sang that song. Hopefully you did. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just, there you go. You remember that. That's Father Abraham. We were introduced to him. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. When we're introduced to Abram, his name actually means, jot this down, exalted father. Now, here's what blows my mind. When, he, when, 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 he, when we're introduced to Abram, his name means exalted father, but he doesn't have any kids when we're introduced to him. He doesn't have any kids. He's just with the family, but he doesn't have any kids, but his name means exalted father. And you're like, why would you name somebody exalted father if you don't have kids? And we're going to see what's going to happen, what God's going to do in the life of Abram. Well, later on, God changes his name, right? In chapter 17, he changed his name from Abram to Abraham, which means the father of many. So he goes from exalted father to the father of many, Abraham. And we met Abram three weeks ago. Here's what we learned. We learned, guys, 
If you recall, Abraham was about 75 years when he was called to leave all he knew and followed a God he had just met. Now, you go, wow, think about this, think about this, guys. When somebody gets saved at 75, it's like a craze, it's like, whoa, okay? But Abraham, now remember, his name is Abram, means exalted father. He doesn't have any kids. He didn't have any kids, but he's 75 years old. It's getting a little late. It's getting a little late. How many kids? I don't know what we're going to do, and that's what we did. But, but again, think about think about where we where you know where we met him. Right? We met him at the Ur of Chaldees. He was seventy five years old. Now, here's what I want you to remember: Abraham followed God until he died at a hundred and seventy five. So, I want you to think about this, and I want you to apply it to your life. He followed God for a hundred years. He followed God for a hundred years. Well, Pastor Bill, they lived longer back then. They sure did. But here's the thing. We need to follow God till the day we die. We need to follow God. Can we resolve that tonight and say, listen, that's, that's, my, that's my resolve. I'm going to follow God till I take my final breath. No matter what brings, I'm going to follow God. Here's why. Because the enemy wants to sidetrack you. The enemy wants to stumble you. The enemy wants to get you to quit. The enemy wants to use attacks on you until you stop, until you give up, until you go, I'm going to do something different. Guys, think about it. We're going to follow God, right? We're going to follow God till, just like Abraham. What a great, 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 great story. Now, we all go, man, I want to be like Father Abraham. I want to have the faith of Abraham. But do you remember where God called him? Do you remember where he called him from? He called him from the Ur of Chaldees, okay? And right there in Iraq. And you go, what was he doing for the 75 years? Well, remember that Abram was an idol-making idol. He was part of an idol-worshiping family. Remember, they, they worshiped the moon god. They had all these gods and they worshiped and, and this is the idol. And, and this is what Abraham did until he heard the call from God. And he was saved and he began to follow God. Guys, that's the same thing for us. That's the same thing. Let me just say to you, go, okay, dig deep in your hearts and just, and just seek the Lord. But let me just say this to you. The day you met Jesus should be the day that he actually changed your life. Because if you look through Scripture, you go, every person who really met Jesus, you guys know what I'm talking about, who met Je- their life was changed. It was never the same. And again, that's exactly what happened to Abraham. There he is. He's worshiping the moon god. And, 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 and God the Father comes down and says, listen, I'm the one who created the moon. Worship me. And Abraham was changed, followed him for a hundred years. Actually, we see what's going to happen. Check it out, right? He, he, he was there. He was worshiping. He was living in the Ur of Chaldees. And so here's what we learned. Abram was a man just like you and me. He was a human walking through life until one day Abraham met God. And his life would never be the same. And here's what I want you to see about Abraham. He went from ordinary to extraordinary. He was living an ordinary life and when God called him. Now, here's what I want you to see. For you and I, that's the case. That's the case. You and I as believers should not just be living an ordinary life. We should be living that extraordinary life because of who God is in our life. We should be going, okay, that's what I want. I'm not, I'm not ordinary anymore. I'm extraordinary. What's God going to do? What's God going to do? And then watch him work through you guys. That's the problem. The problem is that we're going to be like Abraham, get ahead of myself. We want to be like Abraham, and we want to help God out instead of letting God just work through us to accomplish his purposes. Oh, let me help God out. Let me help God out. God, listen. And, and that's where we get, right? Where do we get? We have Ishmael. We're going to help God out. We're going to help God out. Okay, God, I know you got your stuff going. You're busy. You're running the universe and everything. So let me just say, no, no, no. Let's just let him work, guys, with me. He wants to work through us and in us to accomplish his purposes. Can we just do that? Can we allow him to do that? And so that's exactly what we do, right? His life is never going to be the same. Now, I want you to note the call, guys. Look at chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. It said, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land I will show you. We talked about this three weeks ago. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Can I get an amen? Because that's us. 
That's us. We're all the families of the earth. We're blessed. Because through Father Abraham came Yahshua, Jesus. We accept Jesus. We're part of the family. So I love that verse. But notice what it says. It says, Abram, yes, Lord, here I am. And he says, hey, uh, I would need you to do something for me. Yes, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere. He says, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house. Now, why would God ask him to do that? Because remember, the whole family, the whole country, the land was worshiping idols. And there are times, listen to me, church, when we receive the Lord that we need to get out of our families, out of our country. We need to get away from idol worshipers. We need to say, we need to break away. We need to break away. Why? Because I'm afraid that if Abraham would have stayed there, guess what have happened? He might have just said, God, you're awesome, but I'm going to worship the moon too. God, you're great, but I'm going to worship over here. God, you're wonderful, but I got to make a living doing this. Abraham said, no, no, if I'm going to use you, God said, Abraham, no, if I'm going to use you, you need to get away. You need to get away. So what does he do? He makes a 700-mile journey up to Haran, up to Haran, way up north. He stays there till when? Help me, church. Till his dad dies. His dad came with him. His dad dies. And then God calls him again. Hey, Abraham, yep. I told you I want you to go to the land of Canaan. Now look at verse 10 of chapter 12. It says, now there was a famine in the land. Everybody see that? And Abraham went down to Egypt to dwell there. For the famine was severe in the land. Your attention, please. I want to make a couple of points before we jump into our text, okay? You go, what's that? First and foremost, here's what we noticed. Here's what we learned. Abraham totally freaks out. There's a famine in the land. And so he he heads out with his wife, right? He, He leaves and he goes where? He goes to Egypt. Everybody say Egypt. Why, we at, why, do you say, why do you have to say Egypt, Ben? Because here's what I want you to see. Every time in Scripture you see Egypt, it's a type of the world. Anytime you see Egypt, it's a type of the world. So you want to take a note and say, okay, that's... So he says, oh, there's a famine. Oh, my goodness. I've been walking with God. I've been walking with God. I hear God's voice. He spoke to me. He said, get out of here. Go to the land of Chaldees. I hung out at Haran. Dad died. He talks to me again. And now there's a famine. And so I... And so here's the thing. Abraham, in this passage, guys, Abram is kind of showing an example of what believers do today. Why? Well, if Egypt is a type of the world, many times in the believer's life, when we get so stressed out, what do we do? We head right back into the world. Can I get a witness? That's exactly what we do, right? We're following Jesus, and we're trying to grow in maturity, and we're walking, and then something really happens with a spiritual attack, or life just doesn't seem fair, and we somehow find ourselves trying to find comfort in the world that we came out of. That's not comfort, I'm just, that's me. And that's, that's exactly what we learn, right? And so what do we do? Well, we go back looking for peace and comfort in the place that we once know, and, and and, and let me just say this. It would almost be if Abraham was close to the Ur of Chaldea, he might have went back home. Yeah, well, we're here in the Negev Desert. We're close. Egypt is right there. I heard there's food in Egypt. And he went into the world. You go, Ben, well, why are you admonishing Abraham? Well, first and foremost, you and I know that the world doesn't bring lasting peace or joy. Going back to those things does not bring... It just doesn't. It makes things worse. And to make things worse, guys, Abraham, as they make their way to Egypt, he looks at his wife and he says, Girl, you're so beautiful. You're so, look at you. If I'm 75, I don't know how old Sarah is at this point, but she's old. She's older than 75, and he still thinks she's good looking. And he's going down, and and check it out, guys. Think about this. He says, you are so beautiful, they're going to kill me and take you for themselves. So what does he tell them? Say that you're my sister. Say that you're my sister. What does Sarai Sarai do? Okay. Okay. What we learned three weeks ago, we didn't have time to get into it, guys, is that Abraham, being the spiritual leader of the family, shows us that that guys, as, as the spiritual leader of the family, we can cause our spouse to sin if we're not careful. 
how we lead, we can cause our spouse to sin. Say that you're my sister. Okay. You go, well, Ben, it wasn't really a lie because he was, she was his half-sister. No, 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 but in the context, what are they doing? He doesn't want to. You know, and, and, and so, I mean, you think about that. When you think, think about that. We had the privilege of going to Israel these last couple of weeks, two weeks ago, and I would tease Nathalie. I said, now that you're so beautiful, I'm going to tell them you're my sister because I don't know what that means. I don't know what they want you. They, you know, they're going to kill me to take you. And she would laugh at me. But, but it was, I mean, it was there. It was there. We weren't in Egypt, but, but I could see. And then, of course, my youngest daughter was asking how many camels I could get for Nathalie. Because they'll sell camels for beautiful women. And, and uh, nobody offered me camels. But anyway, let's look at the text, okay? Let's look at the text. Look at verse 13 of chapter 12. He says, please say you're my sister. Why? That it may be well with me for your sake and that I may live because of you. And so it was when Abram came to Egypt that the Egyptians saw the woman and she was very beautiful. And the princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. He treated Abraham well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys, and camels. The Lord... But notice verse 17, but the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with the great plagues because of Sarai, Adam's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you have done to Mary? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now, therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Why is this important, church? Why is this such a beautiful part of Scripture? Why? Because Abraham had to marry Sarai. Later, her name's going to be changed to Sarah because she's going to be instrumental in bringing forth the Messiah. What if, I mean, what if Pharaoh, God intervened because Pharaoh would have said, hey, I mean, where would Jesus have come from? Where would, how is this going to go down? And so we see that God is always working in the midst. And here's what I want you to write down in your notes, guys. God is always working in your life, whether you see it or not. He's always working in your life. He's always in the background. He wants the best for you. And so we see that. That was the first point. Okay? Now, here's what I want you to do. Let me give you the second point. Let me give you the second point. And I want, I just, just let me get you to think for just a moment. Okay? Let me get you to think for just a moment. This is the second observation. Okay? Have you noticed that it says there was a famine in the land? Did you hear that? And that's why Abraham went over to Egypt. He said, there is no food. I need to go over to Egypt. I need to go to Egypt. And we saw that whole mess. But let me just say this. I just want you to think, okay? My opinion. Everybody see that? I'm over here. I'm, I'm on this. This is just my opinion, but I want to get you to think. You go, what is it? Okay, here it is. When we were in Israel, our tour guide mentioned a few times that Israel right now produces one-third more food than the whole country can consume. One-third. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? One-third more food, right? They are growing food like bananas. Now, they can't export bananas, so they grow more bananas and, and because of the excise tax. So they have more bananas that they can say grace over, if you will, okay? So they have more bananas, they have oranges. As a matter of fact, when you go down to the Judean desert, guys, check this out. They're growing watermelons in the midst of a desert. That's happening. And I was just like, oh, that's crazy. Now, when you're on a tour, you're just like, oh, watermelon's cool. I'd like to have watermelon. Oh, bananas. And you just see all of this stuff. But, but something struck me, okay? And, and Gila, our guide, says Israel grows one-third more food than the country needs. I was like, okay. And so all of a sudden, I could feel the Lord just stirring my spirit. Now, here's my thought, okay? We know right now that Russia, guys, and other countries, they want to invade Israel. Lebanon, and they're just, they're in the, there's a melting pot. So we know that according to Ezekiel 38, that Russia wants to come in, and God's going to drag him back into this war, and we know all of that, okay? So I started thinking all of this in my mind, and I thought, I, I thought, now, again, this is my opinion. 
What would want to cause another country to invade Israel? Like, what would it be? What? Listen, listen, like if I'm going to go over to Adam, the only way I'm going to invade Adam's space is if Adam has something that I want. I'm going to t- I want to take it from him, and then Adam's going to say no, and that's going to cause a war, right? But, I, but he has something that I want. And so I started thinking. Now, a few years ago, we, we did a teaching on Ezekiel 38 and 39. If you recall, it was, seemed that it was all pressing in towards oil. Do you remember that? Oil. Now, they had found natural gas out in the Mediterranean. Some said that in the Golan Heights there was natural gas, but, that, but there's nothing substantial today in Israel that, that, that they can say, we're rich in oil. Nothing yet. You with me? You guys with me? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. What would cause another country to invade Israel? Your thought might might be natural gas. Of course, Ben, natural gas. If Israel has gas, Russia wants it. Other nations need it. So gas, money, that's what it would be. Okay, but think about this. Worst case scenario. We can live without fuel for the most part. You agree? Okay. Like, we can survive without cars. If we had to, if, if you ran your car till there was no gas, and you went to the gas station and there was no gas, you would leave your gas. There's basically worse, but you're going to start walking, okay? Wherever you need to go, you're going to walk, right? So we can live without that. Now, you go, okay, well, what about, what about gas for our homes? How are we going to heat our homes, okay? Well, we can do it in several ways. We can, we can have fireplaces. We can, there's certain things we can do where we don't need gas. We can have an all-electric home. That's what you need. But you know the one thing that we can't live without? Food. Food. If Israel has the goods, someone is going to want to get it from him, right? They're producing one-third more than their whole country could eat. What do you think people... And I'm thinking, now, now here's my food for thought. Get it? Nice little pun there. According to the Bible, guys, I looked it up. There were 13 major famines in the Bible. 13 major. Right here, even with starting, there was a famine. So here's my thought. Just want to get you to think. My opinion, okay? Just want to get you to think. So what if there was another major famine in the world? Another major famine. And you go, well, Ben, that sounds like a that sounds like a lot like the movie Left Behind with Kirk Cameron in it, right? But think about it. I just it just hit me when I was in Israel. I was thinking, what if there is a major famine somehow in the world, but Israel is producing food like crazy? What do you think the world's gonna do? The world's gonna now now listen, listen. You guys know, you guys know that if the weather person forecasts an inch or two or three of snow, you know that the grocery stores are wiped out. Right? There is no food. Now, we have food, but we hear that and we're like, i got to get the grocery store. Think about if there's something major. The, the stores can handle just the population in Lubbock, Texas. It'd be wiped out in a matter of a week. I mean, completely bare bones, nothing. And I just wonder who has the goods. Now, you might say, just something to think about, something to chew on this week. What if it is food? What if it is gas? But I know that the Word of God says that there are several famines in the Word of God. And what if that's really what's going to happen? That I'm going to stockpile food. No, I'm not telling you to stockpile food. I'm just giving you a scenario here based on Genesis chapter 12. Okay, so think about that back in our text. Let's look at Genesis 13. We continue on picking it up in verse 1. Everybody say amen if you're there. Then Abram went up from where? Egypt. He was there. He and his wife and all that he had, and Lot went with him. Who is Lot? Lot is his nephew to the south. And Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on 
the name of the Lord. Everybody got that? Everybody see that in their Bibles? That's amazing. Why? Because what Abraham does is he now leaves the world, right? Because Egypt, always a type of the world. He leaves the world and he goes back, back to the place where it, where, where he first came out and he built an altar, okay? He goes back to the Negev desert. Lot, if you're taking note, his name means veil, okay, goes with him And note with me, the Bible says that Abram was very rich. He was rich in livestock. He had silver and gold. Abraham has always been rich. And you go, okay, well, Ben, I mean, I'd like to be rich. Hello. But what does the Bible teach about riches? Well, let me just throw this verse at you and we'll move on. Remember what Paul tells us. Paul tells us in 1 Timothy 6, verse 10, it's the love of money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. It's the love of money. We have to be so careful because if I look at the context of Abraham, guys, Abraham had money, but that didn't deter him from what God wanted him to do. He was just he just had money and he was rich and, and God blessed him, but he kept his eyes focused on God. The problem is, guys, is that we can do exactly what they're doing in the year of Chaldees or we can do exactly what they do in Egypt. We can take money and we can make it an idol. Because an idol is something you love. It's something you cherish. It's something you think about all the time. We have to be so careful because that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through many sorrows. You know, isn't that a sad verse? The love of money has, 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 has what? Look at that. It, it, it's caused many strayed from the faith. I just got to work, just got to work, got to work more. And it's like, no, no, think about it, guys. Be careful. Because what it does is it pierces them with many sorrows. Now, notice with me, guys, back in our text, it says it returned to the place he once was. He came back, right? He came back, he came back. And this reminds me, too, when I think of Abraham, there he was in Egypt, there he was, and he's like, oh, I'm in a mess, I'm in a mess. And what does he do? He returns to the place between Bethel and Ai, where he first built the altar, where he first built the altar. You guys with me? It reminds me of the church in Ephesus in the book of Revelation, right? It's the same thing. Why? Because in Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, the word of God says this, nevertheless, I have this against you. What is it? That you left your first love. He says, remember the church that left its first love. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. Guys, he's, it's, so, it's so prominent that he would say, be careful that we don't leave our first love. Here's Abraham in Egypt, and he's, now. I'm not going to go back. I'm going to go back to my first love. And that's what the Word of God says. He says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen. And I think so many times people don't remember where they've fallen. They start wandering in the wilderness, the wilderness of their lives. They're just kind of looking for that one place where they fell. And, and if they would just go back to that place and go, oh, here's, what I, here's the terrace where I left Jesus. And I'm back. I'm so sorry. I'm back. That's what it says. But it also says something so per- so prominent, guys. Think about it. Look what it says. Look at the text, guys. It says, and Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Do you see that? Abraham called on the name of the Lord. And I love this verse. I love that line. And you go, why? Because if you look about it in the world's eye and everybody's eye, Abraham messed up. Abraham messed up. Why? He didn't trust God for, for the first thing. He went down to Egypt. He lied about Sarah. He had Sarah lie. He, he, I mean, he was rebuked by a heathen king. You guys tracking with me? He messed up. And so everybody's going, oh, look at Abraham. He messed up. Yet, we see that he still calls on the name of the Lord. And here's my point, guys. How many of us, when we mess up, are so afraid to pray and call out to God? Oh, pastor, you won't believe this. I totally messed up. I just... I can't read the word. I, just, I totally blew it, man. I've been, I've been hanging out in Egypt, and, and there your Bible sits, and it collects dust because you're afraid. And that's not, that's not at all what, what it says. Guys, listen to me, young folks. Listen to me. Listen, you're going to mess up in life. You're going to make mistakes. Always run back because he called upon the name of the Lord. God is always going to be willing to hear you, to listen to you. Please don't feel like like I did when I first got saved. When I first got saved, I thought I was supposed to be like this super spiritual 
Christian that never messes up, and it just it, it delusioned me, man. I, I didn't realize that I was going to mess up and make mistakes and do dumb stuff and say dumb stuff. But I'm going to, I realized you're going to make mistakes. Listen, but you can always go back and call upon the name of the Lord. And so that's what Abraham does. Thank you, guys. That's what Abraham does. And sometimes, guys, when we feel so defeated, listen to me, tell me if we don't do this, we run from God instead of running to God. Hey, where you been? Egypt. How's your walk? It's not there. Why? Because you're hanging out in Egypt, man. No, 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 listen. Let me just encourage you. Let me just encourage you. Go back and call on the Lord. See, here's what the devil wants to put in your mind. Here's what the devil wants to do. He wants us to believe that God's sitting there with his face, this angry face going, no, 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 you can't call me. You messed up. And the Bible says that Abraham went back to the place where he built the altar and he called upon the name of God. And instead of God looking down with his, with his, you know, his judgmental eyes, you should, he's actually like this, I'll come back up and I've been waiting for you. I have so much more for you, please. What did you find in Egypt? Did you find peace? And no, Lord, I didn't find peace in Egypt. I didn't find peace in Egypt. Here's what we can note and apply, guys. Abraham repented. Abram repented, if you will, and went back to God and he called upon the name of the Lord. And here's what I would write down right here. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Amazing grace. Well, verse 5 says, Lot also went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. Now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abraham's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. Okay, your attention, please. Let's chat for just a moment because I really want to see, I really want you to see this verse. Why? Because this, guys, this increased, in, they increased in possessions. What happens, it created a, sorted, a shortage of available grazing land. There was just a lot. And what it did is it caused strife. But I want you to know, first and foremost, where it caused the strife. You go where? It caused the strife between Lot's shepherds and Abraham's shepherds. That's where it starts, right there. Now, here's what I want you to see. Back in this day, they were all family. They were all family, okay? I mean, they weren't brothers and sisters, but they, they were just so close that these were my shepherds, you were part of the family. Okay, but keep that in mind. Why? Because a lot of people go, right here, Lot and Abraham, right here, Lot. No, Abraham loved his nephew. It was the shepherds that caused strife. It was the shepherds that caused strife. Now, here's what we need to understand. If we're not careful, we think that Lot and Abraham were at odds with each other. We've got to be so careful. We've got to read it. Now, here's what we've learned. Check it out. Lot is very rich, just like Abram. Everybody got that? The land could not support both Lot and Abram's flocks. And there was strife among the shepherds. You said, Ben, I got that. But if you're taking note, here's what I want you to jot down. In the law first mentioned, this is the first time strife is mentioned. And it means it happened to be what? Family strife. Family strife. Although it was not in, it was not directly Lot and Abram, it was still family strife. You guys with me? That's what it is. And here's what we must take home. Here's what you must embrace tonight, guys. We need not strife among the family of God. We need to be careful that we don't do this. No, pastor, who's my family? Well, maybe it's people who don't come to this church, but they're, they're, they're believers. Be careful that we're not going, well, I can't wait. We, we, we want to be what? We want to be in the family of God. And be careful with strife. Because strife causes division. And we got to be careful. We're all, we're all believers. Now, we, you know what? There are times when we, we can agree to disagree on an, on an issue, but we can still be family. 
And could I just implore you? Here's the first time that strife was mentioned. Could I just implore you guys to be family to each other? Could, could I offer a suggestion in a word of application? Listen, we're a small fellowship, so when a sister has surgery, we need to be there for them. When a brother is hurting, we need to be there. We need to, we need, listen, we need to take that step and go, okay, I want to I wanna be the hands and feet of Jesus. What can I do? And it's okay to text, how you doing? But if we can even take it to the next step and say, man, listen, I'm going to come over and I'm going to bring a pot of whatever. I just want to, I just want to, I want to be family. I don't want that strife. I want to be family. But if it's not taught from the pulpit, how we, oh yeah, somebody will do it. No, we need to do it. You need to do that. And we need to take that step to say, I'll do it. I'll do it. Just a word of exhortation for all of us, myself included. Now, I find it interesting that the Word of God says, just out of the blue, he's talking about Abraham, he's talking about Lot, he's talking about riches, he's talking about stripes, he's talking about family, and then he goes off to say, and there were Canaanites and Perizzites in the land. And I just thought that was interesting. It just seemed out of place. It seemed out of context. I mean, we knew he was in the land of Canaan. And I said, Lord, what, what is this about? Lord, what, is, what was about the land and the Canaanites? Well, these two groups are mentioned, and, and I thought, well, if they're there, let's see how they apply to our lives, right? Because we did a study uh, a few years back saying, you know, that there are certain things, certain people groups that, that basically keep us from, um, that want to draw us away from Jesus, okay? So this is more application. You go, what are they? Well, Canaanites. Canaanites, this is what the Bible says, the Canaanites were in the land. Now, if you're taking name notes, their names mean lowlands people, lowlands people. So Canaanites are filled with, and here's what they're known for, guys, addictions, perversions, and their exaggerated people-pleasing. Okay? So the Canaanite spirit is what we want to be careful. The Canaanite spirit, because there's no more Canaanites, okay? We went to Israel today, there's no more Canaanites. But what about the spirit? You go, what is that? Well, here's the spirit, and here's the spirit that wants to draw you away from Jesus. You go, what are there? They're spirits behind the, addic- the addictions and, and, and sexual perversions. This is why Sodom and Gomorrah are portrayed in scriptures as Canaanite cities. Now, this is something that really seeks to draw us away from our Jesus, right? Canaanites. Now, we don't have time, guys, to dig into all the addictions that are out there, but things that believers struggle with, too. And you go, what are they? Guys, we see that with drugs. That's a Canaanite spirit that just we struggle with and wants to take you away from Jesus. Why? Because we want to find our peace in Jesus. We want to find our peace in Jesus. And the Canaanite spirit says, you, you can find your peace in drugs. Why? Because you can check out for a while. And life is so stressful. Give me some drugs. Give me, give me, give me, give me take a few pills. And, and it's, a, it's a real addiction that, that's causing havoc among believers. What about alcohol? What about alcohol? I'll tell you another one. I mean, think about this, guys. There's so many, but these are addictions. What about sports and gambling and pornography? Because all of these are the things, guys, that just take us away from our walk with God. We don't have time to dig deep into every single one of them. But let me just share with you guys, let me share with you Satan's greatest lie. You ready? And the one he still uses on us today, you what's that? He says there are no consequences for sin. Don't worry about it. There's no consequences. And that's his greatest lie. Hey, you can do it and it'll be fine. You can, hey, just just type on the computer just a little bit. Hey, it's okay because nobody gets hurt. Think about this. That's his greatest lie to you. And I'll, I, I truly believe, guys, that, that God wants to heal people from the Canaanite spirits because in Isaiah 61.1 it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor and he has sent me, Jesus, to the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prisons to those who are bound. Guys, he wants to bring healing to that. If you're here today and you're struggling with drugs or you're struggling with alcohol or you're struggling with gambling or whatever it might be or maybe you're just knee-deep in pornography. 
God can heal you from that. God can heal you from that. He goes, okay, so those are the Canaanites. So who else does he mention? He mentions the Perizzites. Do you see that? The Perizzites. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago, but the Perizzites, their name means belonging to a village, right? They're known as the village people, okay? These are the village people. And uh, so the Perizzites, here's what it says, guys. They have limited vision, laziness, and low self-esteem. And you go, well, Ben, what does that mean? Well, I don't know why God mentions it, but I know this. Since the villages impart a sense of smallness, right? Villages are small. They're not big cities. They tend to see themselves, listen, as small, insignificant people who are part of a a small and insignificant community. People trapped by this parasite spirit, therefore, see themselves as people, listen to me, with little potential whose only task in life is to live a quiet existence and to stay out of the way of people who are really important in this world. And so many believers, guys, have bought into the lie that they're insignificant. Let me tell you right now, that's a lie. The enemy wants to say, hey, listen to me, you're insignificant. Hey, just just go stand in the court. Try to be invisible. That's a lie, guys. That's a lie. The enemy comes in and says, listen, you guys are insignificant. You're lazy. You're not worth anything. You've messed up so bad, God could never use your life to change the world. And you know what I say to that? That's hogwash. That's hogwash. Because if you were to look at my life, there's one person who should not be standing behind this pulpit, but God said different. God said different. And I'm telling you right now, guys, it's time time to change, if you will, our stinking thinking. And we need to renew our mind. And, And here's why. Listen to me. Look at me right now. You were created in the image of God. You are beautiful and you you matter. You matter. You are worth more than what anybody ever says to you. And when the devil comes in and he starts messing with your mind and saying you're insignificant, you're a low life, you're nothing, you're lazy, you're never going to be anything, you tell him to shut up because you're made in God's image. You were made for greatness. I'm telling you right now, you were made for so much more. And God wants to take your life and he wants to do things that you can't even imagine. And I look at the young people in the front row and I'm thinking, you guys could change the world. You could change the world if you just say, oh, just send me, Lord. What, what do you want me to do? The whole world, you got that fire from God. But don't listen to the enemy and say that you're nothing. Don't let the enemy say that, oh, you, you, you shouldn't have even been born. Oh, you have no purpose in life. Don't ever say, mm-mm. God has so much more. Don't listen to that thinking, guys. You were made in the image of God. You know what God says? Listen, it's funny because I had this in my notes and Joe read it to me today. So this is confirmation, Joe, because I have it right here. God doesn't make junks. Psalm 139, 14. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works that my soul knows very well. Amen? Think about it. Think about it. Well, it goes on back in Genesis. Okay, so we have the Canaanites, we have the Perizzites. Look at verse 8. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we're brothers. Is this not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Don't you love Abraham right here? What a generous offer. And you go, why? Guys, listen, when he talks to Lot, his nephew, he does it with respect. Why? I want you to notice he starts off with the word please. Please. And you go, what's the big deal? In this culture, Abraham being the elder, he could have just said, dude, you out. You know what? You don't, He's... He's showing us, guys, he's showing us that he's, he's a humble man. And he starts out with, please. And even though I'm your uncle and I'm older, I'm the patriarch and God is speaking to me. 
He looks at Lot and he says, I'm going to take the low road and I'm going to honor you, please. 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 And here's what we're going to do, guys. It's going to, we're going to close our study here. We're going to close our study with verses 10 and 11. Now, here's what I want you to write down, okay? So next week, we're going to learn the seven downward steps of Lot, okay? The seven downward steps. We're going to learn that next week. But I want to close with verse 10 and 11, and then we're going to, want, we're going to just kind of go right into communion. You guys with me? So keep your Bibles open. Look at verse 10. So Abraham says, hey, you pick, bro. You pick. Uh, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And notice verse 10, it says, And Lot lifted his eyes, everybody say eyes, because you're going to see that next week, and saw all the plain of Jordan, and it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of, what is that word? Egypt, right? As you go toward Zoar. Everybody know what Zoar means? You know what no Zoar means? It means insignificant. He says, Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. Now, again, think about it. What did he see? What did he see? Here's what I want you to write down. We're going to look at it next week. All that glitters isn't gold. And what's going to happen to Lot, even before this study, guys, we can glean two points. You ready? You're taking note. I want you to jot this down. Because here's the scenario. Lot looked and he goes, Egypt, that looks like Egypt. I want to go there. I want to go there. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, Tiffany. It's beautiful. I want to go. Here's what you need to jot down. Ready? You can take Lot out of Egypt, but you can't take Egypt out of Lot. You can take Lot out of Egypt. Come on, Lot, but that Egypt was in his heart. Why? Because the Bible says he liked the land of Egypt. You know, what's the application for us? We've got to be careful, guys, because the Lord Jesus can take us out of the world, but he has a harder time taking the world out of us. Number two point, number two. Did you see this, guys? And Lot lifted his eyes. Lot is walking... He's walking by sight. He's not walking by faith. And it was Paul who wrote to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 6 through 8, says, So we are always confident knowing that while we're at home in the body, we're at absent from the Lord. And I say, Amen, Paul, that's right. He says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present from the Lord. So he says, listen, even for us, we need to continue to walk by faith. And that's what Lot's not doing. He's literally walking by sight. So next week, we're just going to spend some time with Lot. And we're going to see the mistakes that he's made and pray that we don't make them in our walks. So, Father, we thank you tonight for your word and the truth in your word. And we thank you, God, that we can spend an extended time, God, in worship. An extended time worshiping you. And we come to communion, God, and we we love you. We love you, Lord. We thank you for the lessons that you've given us. And, Lord, this evening... The first thing you want to do, God, is, is come with a clean heart. Come with pure hands. And so, Lord, we come, and the first thing we want to do as we prepare our hearts for worship is, is to look deep within. And, Lord, I've walked in this world, and I'm not clean. And so I ask your precious forgiveness for my sin, God, for my transgression, for my iniquity. I pray that the blood of Jesus would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. God, I want to look deep within. And I want to, I want to be, I want, to, I want a pure heart and I want clean hands. And as Josh is leading us in worship, the second thing we want to do 
is we want to look back. We want to look at those things that you have just shown yourself so faithful in our lives. So you've proven yourself so amazing. And I want to look back at those things and I want to recount them, God. And I don't want to forget how you moved in our lives, how you saved us, how you blessed us, how you, Lord, I, I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So I want to, I want to look within and then I want to look back and, and I want to remember all your faithfulness in my life. Even when I was not faithful, you were faithful. And then last but not least, I want to look forward. I want to look forward. Because, Lord, your word says that you're not going to take communion again until you take it with us in the kingdom. And so, Lord, when we raise our cups, we're doing it here on earth. But maybe next time, next time we'll be with you in heaven. So come... Some Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long to be with you, God. And that is our prayer. With every heart, with every head bowed and every eye closed, as we approach the communion table, remember it's an open communion as long as you're a believer. As long as you're, you're, you're a born-again follower of God, you're welcome here at this church to take communion. But if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus, I have good news for you. Or maybe you've backslidden. I have great news for you. All you have to do is say yes to him today. And he welcomes you with open arms. He's not furrowed his brow at you. He's not looking at you like, oh, shame, shame, shame. He's saying, please, I love you so much. Come back. So if you're here tonight and you feel like you're far from God, Listen, you're one decision away, and all you have to say is, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I'm here. I'm back. I want to follow you. I don't want to just follow you tonight. I don't want to just follow you because my life is a mess. I want to follow you because I love you, and you're my God. If you need prayer, we'd be happy to pray with you. I'll be up here praying with you. Josh can lead us in worship. When you're ready, you come up, partake, pray. Whatever you want to do. Josh is going to dismiss us in 15 minutes, guys. You have 15 minutes. That's not a long time. Spend time with your Jesus and watch what he'll do in your Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.